So grab your Bible with me this morning and open it to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to get to 1 Timothy chapter 6 in a, more, in a moment. One of my favorite sections in scripture has a lot of great and deep stuff for us to learn about. Um, and this morning, we're going to start a new mini-series called Generous and Content, and we're going to talk about trusting God with our finances. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us so many awesome things, our salvation, our heavenly home, eternal life, all of these things, and then we just happen to live in the greatest country on the planet. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks and praise for where you have us, for what you're doing in and through us. But Lord Jesus, we also want to learn and understand what it means to be generous and content. We don't want to make this world our home, and we don't want to assume that this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You are. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise, and we ask you to move in and through our hearts, and that, Holy Spirit, you would be here in a special moment today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there once was a wealthy guy who died, and when he got to heaven... Um, he, he had a suitcase with him. And we all know you can't have a suitcase when you go to heaven, right? So Peter uh, met him at the gate and said, um, what's, what's in your suitcase? And he said, well, the, the angel said that I could bring something in my suitcase. And Peter said, well, no, you're, you're not really allowed to bring anything to heaven with you. So you'll just have to leave it here at the gate. And the gentleman said, well, he was absolutely 100% positive that I could bring this in with me. And so Peter uh, kind of could see the angel over the guy's shoulder and the angel just kind of shrugged at him, just like, you know, like, whatever, just let him bring it in. So Peter's like, okay, whatever, what, let, let's see what's in your suitcase. Open it up, let me make sure, let me do a great search. So the guy goes, this is really great. Peter, this is so great. You can't, I just can't wait for you to see what I have in this suitcase. And I'm so excited to bring it in. And Peter says, great, okay. So he opens his suitcase and in his suitcase, is like 25 gold bars. And Peter says, you brought pavement? <laughs> See, so many times while we're here on earth, we just get all mixed up, don't we? We get all caught up in chasing after pavement. Pavement. And this morning, we're going to look at a section of scripture that is very challenging in regards to our wealth, in regards to our money, and in regards to our relationship with Jesus and our contentment in this world. See, our contentment as people so often is wrapped up in our finances, isn't it? It can be wrapped up in a whole lot of other things too, like our physical health or a relationship or whatever. But when it comes to our finances, it's one of those things that often gets in the way of our contentment. And we'll see this word in several opportunities in this section. And it's understandable that uh, money would get in the way of our contentment because we all need it to, to live. We need money to have a roof over our head and clothes. And we certainly need money right now to fill a gas tank, right? Amen. I, I have not put gas in my car for three weeks because we've been gone and doing stuff. I put um, gas in my truck yesterday. <laughs> After I picked myself up off the ground <laughs> and realized that $20 got me zip. I put more money in the tank and then I looked at it because I literally, I think when I left, it was like 468. 
And I looked at the pump and went, what? 528? What happened in two weeks? And we won't go there. But it's understandable that we, we need money, right? We, we need money to live. We need cars and we need clothes and we want our phone and we need our phone plan. And so it's understandable that when that is challenging, our contentment gets challenged as well. But what we're going to discover this morning in this section is that true contentment, really when you get down to it, nitty gritty, true contentment has nothing to do with our stuff. If we really want true contentment, then we're going to have to press into Jesus. We're going to have to make Jesus number one. And we're going to have to learn how to submit all those other things to him. See, being generous and content will always be a challenge for us. I think in particular, because of the way that we live as Americans, being generous and being content will often be a challenge. Because we live in a modern age, because they're the world is marketing products at us all the time. And at the core of this marketing is this idea that you're never really content unless you have our product. And so I took a good look at this this week, just looking at things and watching how advertisers work and commercials work and ads work and things on TV. And it's very true. There's like this underground thing that is almost in every commercial that's like you just really really aren't happy if you don't have what we're selling you. And so you and I will just kind of always have this, this challenge to deal with. When you look at the commercials that are out there, you, you see this euphoric happiness as someone talks on a new iPhone and takes a picture of it, right? With it. It's like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Until they realize that next month the new iPhone's coming out. And then depression sets in because I've got to have the next great thing, right? And all of the commercials declare the same thing. Alcoholic beverages are one of the greatest visions of this, right? That when you're drinking our alcoholic beverage, you are the life of the party. Everybody in the bar loves you. You never see alcoholic commercials with a guy throwing up in a trash can or a gal with a headache in the morning. I mean, that's just not right. And your new car, it's not just transportation, it's, it's status. It, 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 all of your friends are going to want to be just like you. It's your new source of Wi-Fi, by the way. It's a magnet for girls. My best, my, my best one, this is my favorite one. It's a new charging station for your house when the power goes out. Have you seen the new Ford truck? Like, I love this. I, I have to be honest with you. This is really, really cool. Like, this Ford truck will actually power my house if my... If the, power is out. But then I got to think about it. It should. It costs as much as my stinking house. Like this truck's ridiculous. I might as well sleep there and just sell my house and buy a truck. But there's something behind the scenes that's being communicated. And it's this, that you will only be happy and content when you have our product. That's kind of our message right now. That's the life that you and I live in. And one of the problems with that is that makes contentment about my selfishness. <laughs> it makes life about me instead of life being about Jesus and about community and about helping others. And when that settles in, we all end up narcissistic, don't we? We all end up going the wrong direction. And so we have really, really challenging and powerful verses like the one we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
verses 6 through 21. See, God's idea of contentment is completely different. And that's what we're going to see. It doesn't come from having everything that you want. It comes from having the one thing that you need. And that's him. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 21 with me. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power for him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now you can see that these verses are fairly intense, aren't they? <laughs> They're fairly challenging. And Paul has some really, really great things to say, but you can also notice he's not messing around, is he? He's not holding anything back. Everything's wide out in the open. And his communication about contentment and money is the opposite of what we experience in our present culture. See, the battle that humanity faces between contentment and money is not new. Remember, this was written in the first century. The battle was real, obviously, in the first century and is still very real and in our century today, the 21st century. Now, there's several powerful lessons about generosity and contentment and finances and wealth that we can discover in these sections. I'm just gonna give us four. I was thinking about giving you 10 but I was, then I started thinking, I can't preach as long as Chad does. <laughs> From now on, nobody will think I go long, right? 
The first thing I want us to see is that godliness with contentment is great wealth. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think about something. I want you to think about a person that has great wealth. And what do you see? What do you see? What does that person have? What does great wealth look like? Large house, fancy cars, nice clothes, big boat, a number with a whole lot of zeros behind it, private plane. Open your eyes. These are the images that we have been told as Americans, isn't it? As Americans, these are the images that we always see about great wealth. We don't see God's view of great wealth. That's not communicated. And what God says is that living for him and being content with that is great wealth. See, great wealth in God's eyes is a life devoted to him, a heart that's not divided by the world and by him. It's a life that worships the Lord with all of your strength and loves your neighbor and has a mind that's content to serve Jesus and live out his or her plan for your life. See, godliness with contentment is great wealth. And that means we have to ask ourselves a question. Do we trust God's view on great wealth or this world's? What viewpoint am I after? What viewpoint am I pursuing? What viewpoint is gonna take over my thoughts and my life and my heart and my mind? Now, it was interesting. When I was preparing this message, um, I read this verse and I, I've known this verse. This is a verse I've liked my whole life, but I literally just had to stop right in my tracks and just repeat it over and over again and pray. Because I realized I'm 49 years old now. I've lived in this country for 49 years and every single day of 49 years of my life, I've been communicated a different idea of wealth than God's idea. I've been communicated that I need stuff to make my life happy, to make my life content. And God's word communicates the opposite. And so I just sat there and prayed, Holy Spirit, help me understand, change my thoughts, change my heart, because if you don't change it, this world will, won't it? Amen. And if we're not careful, the things that are being communicated to us every single day will change us instead of God's word. Let me give you an example. Do you think Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett sit around together and say, the most expensive thing I have is my Bible? Probably not. Do you think they say, obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit is more important to me than all of my private jets? Probably not. Next week, do you think we will hear Elon Musk say, oh, guys, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm not gonna buy Twitter for $44 billion. I'm giving the money to missionaries. Do you think we will hear him say that? No, because they've bought into a different idea of great wealth. And if we're not careful, we will too. Because when, content, when we become discontent 
we will buy into the world's idea. Now, I'll admit that I think this will take some time. This may take years of practice to work out of my system, to work out of my heart, to work out of my mind. But I need to get to the place, and you do too, that I understand that serving Jesus, obeying Jesus, heaven, eternal life, serving others, being generous, loving my neighbor, turning from my personal sins, that that is great wealth. That may take some time. See, the life that Jesus calls us to is higher than this world's understanding. It's greater than the philosophies that are being communicated in our colleges and universities, and it's wiser than all of man's knowledge. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This morning we sang a great new song and the chorus said this, my wealth is in the cross. That's gotta sink in. I want that to sink in and I want it to sink into you too. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Another lesson we see is in verses nine and 10. In verses nine and 10, I think we, we learn the lesson that money is not the answer to our problems. Have you noticed that that's a cultural thing with us? We often think that money is the answer to all our problems. And so what I need to do right now is go buy a lottery ticket. Because if I win the lottery, then all of my problems will go away. Because money is the answer to our problems. Now, did you, did you notice verse 9 and 10? In verse 9 and 10, it very, very clearly communicates to first century people that longing for money will not solve all your problems and it won't help in the 21st century either. In fact, here's what's interesting. In verses nine and 10, it actually says that having money and lots of wealth will actually create problems, not solve them. Something we have backwards because we're searching after pavement. Verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It doesn't communicate that money will solve your problems. It communicates that it will create more problems. Now, specifically in verse 9 and 10, there's four problems that God's word says, great wealth and the love of money, pursuing money with all of your heart, will create problems. The first one is that this pursuit of money will create temptations and trappings that lead to destruction. How many times in our culture have we seen somebody very wealthy struggling with alcohol or drugs or maybe recently, I don't know, I'm trying to think if, any, if there was anything in the past month or something where we saw wealthy people trying to figure out their relationship. Oh, we did? Throwing around hundreds of millions of dollars in a courtroom thinking it's gonna solve their relationship because they're wealthy? These are the things we're seeing on a regular basis. Do you understand how we might get a little confused and why we might pursue a suitcase full of pavement? 
Because what we watched all month were two wealthy people arguing in a courtroom about hundreds of millions of dollars. Who does that? <laughs> Only we do that. And it messes us up. It messes with our contentment. It messes with our love of the Lord. And it messes with what we should really be thinking about and doing in our lives. See, lots of money will often open the door for temptation and trappings that were not present before simply because I now have the money to do whatever I want. Secondly, it says that the love of money leads to evil. Now, generally, the opposite is communicated by our culture, that the love of money will lead to all of your problems being solved and that the love of money will lead to contentment. But that's not what verse 10 says. Verse 10 actually communicates that the love of money leads to evil, not to contentment. It leads to problems. Now, let's be clear. Money itself is not the problem. The paper, the coin, that, that's not the issue. It's the love of it. It's that this is my everything. This is my number one. In other words, money has become what? A false god. That's why our founding fathers put right on the paper to trust in the Lord, not our money. In God we trust. That's why it's there. Because they knew that there, there could be a potential that we could love our money more than we love God. And when that would happen, we'd get flipped upside down. Luckily, we're not there till tomorrow. But let's be clear, money's not the problem. The love of money is the problem. So you and I have this balance that we have to work out. We have to work out our priorities and discover what's number one in my life, what's number two in my life, what's number three, what's number five, what's number seven in my life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24, no one, no one, can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then this statement, you cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. Can't serve both God and money because both of them want your attention. See, Jesus' point and Paul's too is that money must be put in its proper place in life. It can't be number one. God must be number one. That means money can be number two, right? No. Because there's a whole bunch of other stuff in the context of these verses that should be before that. Things like godliness, righteousness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, living a godly life, being generous, trusting God. These are all in the context of these verses that should be more important than money. So we have this balancing act that you and I are always working on. Another thing that wealth can cause is it can cause us to wander from our faith in Jesus. Wealth can cause us to wander away from our faith. See, when one has wealth, we have the ability to do whatever we want. And kind of, this won't really happen overnight, but over time, you may just start choosing not to be at church as much. Well, I can fly to Disneyland tomorrow, so we're going to Disney instead of church. Whatever it might be, wealth can begin to start this slow fade where Jesus is put on the back burner. The fourth thing that this verse said was that it will bring many sorrows 
The last thing verse 10 says about wealth is that it will bring many sorrows. But we think that money will solve all our problems. You know, we've been doing this lottery thing for about 25 years now. So we have lots of stats and statistics and things to go along with it. And if you, if you look at the stats of um, most of the, uh, the lottery systems and states and the federal government, um, you'll notice something. About 10 years ago, we kind of switched things up. And we went to, we're, we're going to give you a certain amount per month instead of giving you everything in a lump sum. Do you know why we did that? Because they discovered that only after three years, most people that won a lottery big lump sum were back to the same place they were three years later. Why? Because they didn't know what to do with it. What those people also all say, in most cases, the individuals stated that the winnings made life more difficult. Not better, more difficult. These are the comments you hear. It made every relationship in our family strained. All of my friends just wanted me for money now. And I found out that everybody was knocking on the door all day long. Constant phone calls every day begging for money. It made life so much more difficult. In fact, I wish I had never won it. These are the comments you hear. Why? Because it brought more sorrow, just like God's word says. See, money's not the answer to our problems. What is? Well, Jesus, of course, that's always the right answer, huh? But the third lesson we see is this. True contentment is developed by what we pursue. True contentment is developed by what we pursue. Now, we're all pursuing different things in our life. By the way, this is one of the blessings of living in America, amen? This is one of the great blessings of being an American. We get to pursue a whole bunch of stuff because opportunity in our freedom is laid out before us. There's a wide open door of opportunity that you and I have to pursue so many wonderful things in our world. But that also can be a temptation. In the context of this chapter, our author Paul says that contentment will be ours when we pursue godly things like righteousness, faith, love, gentleness. The pursuit of these qualities will lead to contentment. In other words, not everything we pursue will bring contentment. I'll give you an example. I went fishing with a friend the other day. We caught nothing but I was pursuing a fish, pursuing a fish, pursuing a fish, pursuing a fish. And you know the dumbest part about this pursuit? The fish were in a net right at our feet, right at our feet. It was the fishing day at Clear Lake. I was with my little friend, Henry, and the fish we were pursuing were in a net at our feet and we couldn't catch one. My contentment went out the window. I was done. There was nothing content about me. Nothing content about me. I, we were throwing everything at these fish. That's what we were pursuing, and we couldn't catch them. That's what living in the world can be like. 
Like you're, you're pursuing everything and it's just gonna catch you and swallow you up. And that's why the Lord says over and over again in his word, don't pursue everything because it won't lead to contentment. Even a dumb little fish. The Greek word that the New Testament uses for contentment is aftharakia. And it means enough, sufficient, a need, or content. Enough. In Philippians 4, 11 to 13, Paul said this, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, there's an interesting lesson here. And the lesson is this. You can have a whole lot or nothing at all and not be content. That's what Paul said, right? I've learned that there are times where I have everything I need and more than that, I have plenty, I have a lot, and I have, to, I, have to, I have to work on being content. There are times I have nothing. I've had nothing at all. And I had to learn on being content. Why? Well, have you ever noticed when your bank account is really low that you start to get worried and anxious about finances? And you're not content. Have you ever noticed when... You had a lot. I don't know if you've ever had a lot. I'm working on that. I don't really think I need it. But if you've had a lot, maybe you've been at that spot too where you're like, this still really doesn't satisfy. And the wealthy of our culture prove that to us every day, don't they? They have everything. And they have nothing. In Hebrews 13, 4 to 5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, if our pursuit is God and he will never leave me and he will never forsake me and my heart and my mind is set on him, then I'm content because he's never gonna leave me or forsake me. Now, let me point out one more thing that he says in verse 12 that I think is really interesting. It's just like right here in the middle of everything. And you might kind of wonder like, why is it stuck right here? Does it really have anything to do with contentment? And I would say, yes, it does. In verse 12, he says this, fight the good fight of the true faith. Fight the good fight of the true faith. Why does he stick that right there? Here's why I think he did. As a believer in Jesus, you will have to fight for your contentment. If you want to be content in this life and in the next, you'll have to fight for it. Because everything is against you. Everything is against you in regards to the true life Jesus has for us and the contentment that he will bring Therefore, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you're going to have to fight for this. This isn't going to happen by osmosis while you sleep. 
This isn't gonna come naturally while you're in the shower or driving your car somewhere. You're gonna have to fight for the things that I have for you because the world wants to take them away from you every day. The world wants you to live with pavement. And I want you to have the true riches of the kingdom of God, but they're not materialistic, they're spiritual. And so are are you pursuing those things? Because what God is saying is you're gonna have to fight for it. Peace and joy are not realities in our modern world. You're going to have to fight for them. Righteousness is really hard to find on Facebook. You're going to have to fight for it. Perseverance seems like it's a thing of the past. You're going to have to fight for it. But some things are worth fighting for, amen? And our relationship with Jesus and everything it brings is worth fighting for. But don't fight like the world fights. You have to fight in the spirit, not in your flesh. The last lesson is a hard one, but is found in verse 17 to 19. Let me remind us what it says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. The last thing I want us to see is that being generous and content is the real life, not the fake life. See, what you discover and what I've discovered and hopefully what you've discovered is that by believing in Jesus, my eyes have been opened, my heart's been opened to something very important about life while we're here on earth. And that is that there's fake life and there's real life. There's fake life that's always trying to suck me in. And there's the real life that I have to pursue in Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. Generosity breaks the fake life off of us. Giving, being generous, tithing, putting my money in its proper place breaks that off of us breaks what the world is trying to connect us to and attach to us, what it's trying to sell us all the time, being generous and tithing and giving and putting money in its proper place, as we'll talk about over the next several weeks. The generosity breaks the fake life off of us and helps us live the true life that what God has for us. Because when we are not connected to our money, we can be generous. And when we are generous, we discover that our contentment is in Christ. Now, here's what I've discovered. Maybe you have too. Fake life doesn't want to share. You notice that? Fake life doesn't want to share. But you and I have have been dealing and struggling with the fake life since we were three years old. Do you remember your favorite word when you were three? Mine. Mine. That's it. Our favorite word when we're three is what? Mine and no. And what we really mean is, no, you can't have what's mine. 
<laughs> so since the time where we're three, we've been struggling with this. Why? Because it's our sin nature. Our sin nature just naturally gravitates to the fake life and says, get whatever you can. And God's word, as we'll see over the next several weeks, says what? Give away as much as you can. It's an opposite. And we just have to make a decision. What do I want in my life? I want pavement? Or do I want the real life that Jesus has for me? See, verse 19 says being generous is what helps us experience true life. And real life is found only in Jesus. But like I mentioned before, you'll have to fight for it. You'll have to fight for it. Because fake life, it's easy to find. The second you leave the door, your phone will beep with a little bit of fake life for you. And all day long, it'll beep for you. Here's some more fake life. Check this out. And we have to make a decision. Am I going to choose tomorrow morning to wake up and open God's word and see some true life? Or just keep looking at my phone and find fake life? These are the things you and I have to choose to do. Now let me close with a question. Is this the life you want? Do you want a life that's content? Do you desire to be generous and not stressed about money? If that's the life that you want, then you'll have to pursue Jesus. You'll have to pursue him because he is our contentment. He is our reason to be generous. It's all about him. Would you stand with me? Let's take a minute to pray. And I also just want to say this morning that there might be someone here that you're working through this in your mind and in your heart. You're working through the first step, saying yes to Jesus. Just saying, I, I'm, I'm not content in this world. I've, I've noticed that. But I've been coming to church and I've been realizing that the contentment that I need is found in a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to start by just saying, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. To find the contentment and the joy and the salvation and heaven is your home that we've been talking about. And so if you, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to just show the Lord that you want to do that. And it's a simple way. Just, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus this morning. I want to start today. I want that contentment that you're talking about and I want the joy and the salvation that comes in Christ. So I'm just going to pause, and if, that, if that's where you're at, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and say yes to Jesus. Secondly, 
Some of you in the room might just feel like, Pastor Mark, I've been chasing after that suitcase full of payment. That's where I'm at. I've not made Jesus number one. I know I need to, and I need to get money in its proper order, in its proper place. And um, I just want to say, Lord, would you help me do that? If that's where you're at, would you just raise your hand too and say, Jesus, would you help me with that? Would you help me put my priorities right? Make you number one. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to study your word, to watch people get baptized, to worship you, to sing our hearts out to you, to say yes to you in so many ways. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for what you're doing in and through us. And we pray that you would help us to understand that this true life. It's found in you. It's found in relationship with you. And Lord, I I pray that you would, as we study about these things over the next several weeks, would you help our hearts and our minds to be focused on you? And Lord, for some of us, this will mean maybe changing some priorities around. Maybe changing our budget around. But certainly, It'll mean for all of us changing some things in our hearts and our minds. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would do that, that you would be faithful to work in and through us, and we just open ourselves up to let you do that this morning and, and every day of our life. So we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, next week, going to one service, 930 right here. And uh, my hope for us over the next several weeks is pretty big. My hope is that we would trust the Lord with our finances in a whole new way. And that we would let the Holy Spirit over the next several weeks change our life in regards to money and help us be generous and content. Remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.